Coming up right now on the podcast, Matt Moran. The guy is huge, and the first time I ever met him, he was staring at me across the room, and I thought, this guy is eyeballing me. What is going on? But you'll find out why that happens in just a moment. Enjoy this one. He's a fantastic guy. Got lots of cool stuff going on. Matt Moran. So, Matt Moran, you're a bit of an icon in the Australian culinary scene. Mm. A boy from the bush who made it big in the city, might you say that? <laughs> uh, look, you know, I, I had no choice, to be honest. Um, really? No. We, uh, we're, we're farmers. We, um, uh, the first farm was in the Central Tablelands, a place called White Springs at Black Springs. Yeah. Um, and I think it was land grant in the 1850s. Wow. And uh, my great-grandfather walked from Parramatta up there with his older brother. You know, there's a dirt track through the mountains. How far is that? Oh, it's about, where Black Springs would be over 200 kilometres um, from from Sydney. So, you know, that was back in the olden days. It's in the early 1800s. I'm pretty sure this is, uh, everyone knows who you are, but just in case I don't, Aria Sydney, Bangaroo House, uh, North Bondi, uh, Fish, uh, Chop House. Chiswick's. Chiswick's, yeah, yeah, the garden, bar, beautiful. River Bar in Queensland, little big house in Queensland. Yep, it's okay. Up there. Wow. Uh, so we do appreciate your time today. Pleasure. And yeah, I know yeah. you're really, really busy, so uh, we'll hook into this. Um, you came from out there. Now, I heard somewhere that you had a job when you are like 15 in a kitchen somewhere, maybe in Parramatta or something. Yeah, so we, we, we came from the, the land. We lost all our property in, uh, in the 70s. And, um, and then we grew up out west in, in Sydney, um, a place called Blacktown, which is... Yep, and used, used to be the roughest I've ever seen, <laughs> <laughs> which is probably good because it gives you a bit of, bit of, you know, bit of, bit of strength. Um, I wasn't that academic, strangely enough, um, and uh, my brother was. I've got an older brother who's only a year older, and I wanted to leave school. Dad wouldn't let me leave school unless I had a job, and I just kind of was trying to think of what I could do yep. to, um, you know, to get get myself out of school. I would have done anything to be really honest. Um, but in year nine and ten, I, I took an elective to do home science, which is basically cooking um and there was me my mate and 18 girls you know i'll give you one one guess why i chose that yeah and you're gonna say the girls but i'm gonna say because (laughs) you got something to eat in the middle of the day (laughs) either way um i came last i think um and i thought i had a little bit of butchery skills just from because even though we moved out west dad bought a little place in taralga and we used to go back to the farm you know, every weekend and, and he would make us work and, you know, crutch, crutch sheep and, and lambs and mark them and, you know, we had a few head of cattle and stuff like that. So um, it was only a small place. And then um, I, I, I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a butcher. I went and, you know, did a bit of work experience as a butcher, then did a little bit of baking, thinking, great, you know, get up early and be finished at bin day. Um, and I thought, geez, maybe a, maybe a cook. So I started working uh, when I was 14, actually, in Parramatta RSL, just as an odd body, you know, I used to, I used to know the different cuts of meat, so I'd, I'd, when a, a carpet bag came in order or, or a T-bone, I could run to the cool room and grab them and bring them out. And uh, there was one guy there, Plunkett his name was, he used to run it. And he had a really cool car, but not only that, he could, he could, uh, he could break an egg with one hand. And I thought, geez, you're, you're, you're Very good. cool. You're really cool. <laughs> and, um, and I thought, geez, I'd like to do that one day. And I thought, maybe I'll become a cook. So, you know, hence the, the looking for an apprenticeship. So there was about 20, I reckon, before I even got a bite. Um, I remember one guy, Harbour Watch, don't know where he is now, probably dead. Um, he said to me uh, after an interview, he said, look, you know, yeah, you did great. The first 10 don't work out, I'll give you a call. And that's what it was like back then to, to get a job. It was impossible. 
without divulging your age, when, what year? When was that? It was 1980, 1984, 85. Yeah, so okay. I just turned, I just turned 50. Uh, okay, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm 48, so yeah, right. I, I was going for apprenticeships at the same time. Yeah, right. Like 30 and 40 people going yeah, for yeah, apprenticeships yeah, as yeah, chefs. Yeah. So yeah. And I, I, I went to this last place that I actually didn't want to go to because it was in Roseville and I was in Blacktown, so it was an hour and a half by the, by the, mm. by train and and. Uh, and I remember it was open six nights and you had to work six days back in those days. Um, and we were doing, I got the job, but we were doing about 80, 90 hours a week. Um, you weren't getting paid back then. Yeah, very different from very today. Different. And um, I didn't want to go because it was too far. And my old man made me go because uh, I made the appointment. And I remember going in there and I saw a whole list of names with crosses next to them. And it was the owner, operator. And uh, it was called La Belle Helene. It was in Roseville. And... Um, he, uh, I basically said to him, I said, look, I don't have a lot of experience, but, you know, I come from a um, good background, you know, farming background, I can work, um, you know, a little bit of work experience in the RSL. You give me a job and I promise you, you won't be sorry. He said, come in and I'll give you a three-day trial. And, uh, and for that reason, I said that. I got in the door and uh, I didn't do great, but um, he said to me at the end of it, he goes, you can leave school tomorrow. So I went in and left school on the oh, sorry on the Monday, and I left school, and he gave me an apprenticeship. Little did I know that I was probably in the top five restaurants in the state. <laughs> it was incredibly fine dining. There was about eight chefs in the kitchen. We did about forty covers a night. And what I fell in love with, and this is the honest truth, because I didn't have that much interest in it, other than I could work hard. Yeah. I remember the first two days, the trial, and my father came pick me up late at night at midnight. And he said, what do you think? And I said, Dad, you've got no idea what they do with food. I've never, like fan strawberries and souffles and, and stuff like that. It was very French. I had no idea. And I'd never seen food like that. And coming from that background of, uh, you know, country and, and western suburbs, I didn't like seafood. Um, and the reason being, and you're going to laugh at this, I've ne- I'd never tried it. I'd never eaten it. We never had seafood. We never had fresh fish. Mm-hmm. All we had was fish fingers. And I didn't yeah. like them. So, you know, Good. I just thought I didn't like seafood, but I'd never really eaten it. Um, and then, you know, that was, and I'm a little bit obsessive-compulsive, and, and, uh, which I know, and um, most people around me know that too, and I fell in love. I just couldn't believe what they did with food, and I just became obsessed. And, uh, you know, to this day I still say I've never worked a day in my life. Good. You, know, did you, you do, do what you love in life, you never have to work. You went on to be like... Head chef there, or did you go and somewhere I was, else? I, I I went in a trajectory pretty straight up. Yeah, um, and uh, I was head chef there by the time I was sous chef there by the time I was a third year apprentice at seventeen or something. And then um, he actually bought another restaurant, so he left me there in charge. And I had I was eighteen, I think, at the time, and I had you know forty year olds under me. Can you remember one of the dishes on that menu that you were cooking? Oh, mate, we used to do you know we used to marinate you know uh, Denver leg venison. You know, red wine, juniper berries, you know, for a couple of days. And then that would be served with, um, you know, what do we use? It used to be like, you know, caramelized peaches or something like that. So it was like a, a real fresh element to it. But, you know, the biggest seller, I think, on the menu was a Grand Marnier souffle. Um, you know, Paris Breast. Yes. You know, uh, which is the, you know, the choux pastry with the oh, yeah. shoebist around it, as the French waiters say, French titties. <laughs> um, you know, we always used to do, uh, you know, consommés and, and uh, boudon blancs and and all that sort of stuff. So it was a very souffles to order. Souffles to order, of course. Yeah, yeah everything was done. And yeah. we, there was nothing not done. You know, I, I um, you know, I had a very early introduction to pastry, and that's why I've got a big pastry background. Hence why I'm, you know, 
baking judge and stuff like that. Yes, yeah, um, good. But, uh, you know, I started my own business while I was working there making cakes and tarts. And uh, I sold them to cafes and, and delicatessen. What, what, what's in you to do that? Like, is that the farming background? I'm on the land. I'm going to have a go. What? That, no, that, what, I, th- I think that I just loved cooking so much. And so, I was so into it. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, it was just the will to succeed because I was a little bit left field. And my brother was the academic and I was probably, you know, seen as the bad child. And I was a little bit naughty. You know, I was very naughty, actually. <laughs> I used to be in fights and stuff like that because I was a big boy and whatever, you know. Um, and it kind of really cleaned me up quickly because the kitchen is so disciplined, and it was back in those days. Um, it was either be disciplined or, or don't do it. And I, I loved it so much. I, I, I took that discipline on and I just thrived on it, you know. And I knew I was doing better than others because they get yelled out and I never did. I was a golden boy. So it is a little bit like the military in a kitchen where if you do it, oh, toe yeah. on the line and you're doing it. And it's, Mate, I, 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 I would be sitting there when I was a first-year apprentice and there was a sous chef, Kathy, her name was, probably shouldn't say her last name. She was a Kiwi. Um, she ended up working for Packer for a long time. You'd be standing there, and we seriously used to start at 9 in the morning, go right through to midnight, you know, and that's a, that's a good 15-hour day. Mm. You know, you might come in at 10 o'clock the next day, but, you, you know, you did that every day. And, you know, I, I loved it. You sit down, have a big meal. Chef always made a sit down. He was the owner at five o'clock and have a big meal together. And, and uh, you know, after a couple of days, you'd, get, you'd be getting pretty tired and you'd be standing on one leg with one knee tucked in and she'd come behind you, no shit, and she'd kick the back of your straight knee and you'd fall down and she'd go, stand up straight, it's bad for your posture. And I used to hate her so much. Um, I couldn't stand her. And I just thought she was a bully and mean. And she probably was, but at the same time, it was, it was what kitchens were. It was that discipline, and I, I have to say that, you know, I became one of her great mates in the end. She she had a lot of pastry background. She taught me. I'd go in early for an hour or two, and you know, just work, you know, to to learn how to pipe or make puff pastry or shoe pastry, whatever it was when I was a first year, and uh, and she was still mean to me. But then, by the time she'd left and opened her own business, she rang me and said, "Can I come and do some part time work for her?" And I and I didn't. You know, I had the utmost respect for her back back then. It's and we a, became great mates. The kitchen's a really great place for life lessons. Yeah. It's very different back in those days. And I I would never look, I think, you know, there was never any violence apart from being kicked in the back of the leg. But it was a bloody tough, tough environment. Um, I loved it and I thrived on it. Um and, you know, it, it's changed nowadays is where people don't much work over forty four hours, forty five yeah. hours. But you know, you think about it, it it's cooking is learning. And uh, learning, unfortunately, takes time. Do you feel, or I know other people encourage, they say, hey, work your 42 hours doing this, doing the service and whatever. Mm-hmm. But, hey, get out there. You've got to do some own, you know, stuff at your own time. No one tells a painter to stop painting or, no, you know, you've got and, to do and, your and own and stuff. And that's what you've got to do. And I'd go home and practice piping. And, and my, as I said, you know, I started that business when I was 17 making cakes and tarts. And my biggest um, supplier was Valley Little, who used to be the editor of Delicious Magazine. Uh, you know, food editor for, for yeah. 10 years. So you rock up and you get a job at one of the best restaurants and yeah. you start a cake business serving cakes and tarts. <laughs> I'd get home at, no shit, I'd get home at midnight and I'd roll it all and I'd get up at 6am and I'd bake them all and I'd drop them off on my way to work. I was earning 500 bucks cash. Back This is back in the late 80s. You know? no, ta- no tax department listens here. Oh, mate, that's that's long gone. <laughs> they, can, they can look it up now. That's 30 <laughs> years. No, I've paid no tax. I don't, I don't even take cash. <laughs> 
Wow. So you've got all these restaurants. How on earth do you I mean, just how do you, how do you stay on top of all the people? I mean, I'm sure you have got lots of great people working I look, under you. I often say that I don't, and 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 the reason why I say that is that I'm I'm very lucky. I've got a lot of people who've been with me for a very long time. Um, and, you know, you surround yourself with people that do it better than you and surround yourself with people you trust and you look after those people, um, you know, it becomes a great team. You know, I've been very lucky. I've had, you know, a great partner for, for a long period of time, Peter in the beginning and, and Bruce, and, and why it works is because we're equal partners. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we, uh, we have a lot of trust with each other and, and, and uh, you know, the, the management side of it are, are very capable and, and um, you know we try not to overstretch ourselves, and 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 uh, you know we run good businesses. And How good do people. you manage work-life balance? Like, I mean, I know I see you on your bike every now and again. Yeah, and I, not I, enough. I used to see you at the gym on Instagram. What happened to that, mate? Yeah, no, I'm still at the gym every. every just yeah, someone yeah, told you not to post that, or yeah, I just get a bit lazy. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to give, you know. Um, yeah. No, I was at the gym this morning. Um, yeah. You know, I I try to be home weekends. Um, you know, I was saying that I'm not very academic, but my, my son my son is an academic, believe it or not. He's just got into medicine in Melbourne, so I'm going to have to spend a bit of time in Melbourne if I want to see him. Um, and, uh, you know, I try to be home on weekends, but, you know, it's they probably suffered a little bit when they were young. But, you know, How many time, children do you have? I've got two. Yeah. I've got a daughter who's, um, you know, she's only 14, 14, nearly 15, going on 25, um, that knows everything <laughs> about life better than I do. Yeah, um, it's an important time for that, actually. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of funny that my son, who's 18, he's going to Melbourne, and I don't talk a lot privately about my life. Okay. Um, I, I just don't, but, you know, I might can say the names and you won't find photos of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's probably a good thing that, you know, Harry's, like said, Harry's, going, <laughs> Harry's going to Melbourne um, and uh, and then, you know, it gives me a little bit more time with, with, um, with uh, Amelia, which is great. In your business, is, do you have like, you know, values? Are they written on the wall? Or is it just something that comes from within and is teach slowly? Or is it is something you Look, you depends do? on what you're doing. You know, if you want to be a chef, and I, I tell any young kid this, you know, um, you know, and, and, I, and I tell my kids this too, and I think this is really important. Do it because you love it. Don't do it because you, you, you see fame or you want to be a celebrity chef and, and whatever else. It, it's, it's too hard. And, you know, as I always say to my kids, and their, their mother's a, an academic, she's a, a, a lawyer and, and writes lots of novels, and, um, and I often say to them, you know, because um, you know, people say, oh, you know, you're going to follow in your dad and be a business person in restaurants or you're going to be a lawyer like your mum or, or a writer. And I say, do what you, do what you love because it's, life's too damn hard to go to do something every day that you don't enjoy. And, and as a kid... I remember there was, I thought there was something wrong with me because I, I used to work the six days and Sunday was my only day off and I'd go and meet up with my Blacktown mates and on Sunday afternoon they'd be having beers and whatever and they'd all be whinging about going to work the next day. I never said a word because I, I was too embarrassed and I thought maybe there's something a bit weird about, about me personally because I couldn't wait to get to work the next day to learn something. Mm. And I seriously, you know, that, that, was, that got me through the, the hours um, and I just say to, to my kids, do whatever you think you will love. And if you don't, don't keep doing it. You know? Go and find something else. What, through your career, what was the biggest risk you took? Like, when was that? Like, oh, if we do this, when, what, what's the biggest oh, risk? Oh, the biggest risk was the first business, you know, Paddington Inn back in 91. You know, I was 22. Pete Sullivan was 25, I think, um, 27 maybe. He might have been five years older than me. Yeah, he was. 
And uh, he came from Armstrong's. I came from one of the best restaurants in Sydney, um, the restaurant Manfredi. Um, you know, was, I think it's the only tame restaurant ever to get three hats. And uh, and I was there after La Belle from 19 to 22. And we brought Pato in and um, and we got a bit of a exposure straight away because we came from high profile restaurants and, you know, and we got a hat really quickly and, and whatever else. Um, but, you know, Pete and I had no idea how to run a business. No idea. I could put food on the plate. Um, I could work out costings, you know, just in my head. Mm. Um, I could get the flowers from the flower markets and do the flowers. You know, we'd go to the markets ourselves because we couldn't afford to give anyone any money back in those days. Pete could run a floor um, and, uh, and rostering. That was all great. But, you know, after the first sort of couple of months, we thought, geez, we're making a lot of money. But we hadn't really been paying paying our supplies that well. We just, paying tax. We, yeah, no, we had no idea. Fast. And then, you know, I remember Pete's wife came in and she had done hotel management and and uh, and Susan was, you know, amazing at, at doing that. And, and uh, she came in and, and started running our business. And, and even then we weren't great. And I remember, you know, at one period of time, it was Susan came to us and said, look, guys, you've got to put in some money or you're going to go bust. So we put in five grand each. <laughs> that's, yeah. how, that's how close we were. It was nothing, but, you yeah. know, that was obviously a lot of money back in those days. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, we just kept going, you know, and then we obviously... A lot of people would have stopped or went broke then and probably didn't get on top of it quickly. But I'm so thinking that the hard work that you were doing in combination with just the timing of that might have saved you. <laughs> Great. The, the weird thing is we were actually busy. We yeah. just didn't really know what we were doing. Perfect. And uh, and that was the perfect scenario to say, right, well, you know, we, we've, got to, we've got to surround ourselves with people that actually know about it better than what we do and you know and people always ask me now how the hell do you know so much about numbers and and business and and figures and and running it it's because i've been doing it for so long and i've surrounded myself with people over that period of time that that taught me um and now you know i can pass that on but it's that's a crucial part is you know being a cook or a chef is not just uh you know knowing how to put a, a, a steak in a, in a pan and perfect cooking it perfectly you've got to know every every aspect of what you do um and every facet it's really important you said you weren't academic now does that mean that your people skills your ability to you know have fun or work hard and all those other skills oh, look, are i look i think i think you know i was probably a little bit you know adhd and hard to sort of concentrate you know and and, uh, you know, I've always been incredibly good with numbers. Um, and, you know, over the years I've even pulled up the old accountant, you know. <laughs> In fact, I do all the time. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. God, yeah. Um, but, you know, I've always been good with numbers and I was I always did really well at, at, uh, uh, in, in those subjects. But, um, you know, I went to a pretty bad school. And, um, you know, I think I blame half on me and half on the, half on the education that I had, um, you know. How do you keep ahead of the game? Um, look, I, it's not just me. There's a collective, you know, it's never been a dictatorship. Um, you know, I empower, uh, the people that work for me, um, and take influence from them. Uh, I'm lucky is where I, I get to travel a lot and see a lot and I'm bringing that back. I'm always, you know, you know, I've just had a, a tasting menu then, um, at Barangaroo House at B. Um, Tom has been with me for years. He, he comes up the menu and he'll send it to me and I'll have a bit of a look and I've got a group chef too. Um, who oversees it with me, and uh, and I'll make comment, and then we have a tasting today. We sit down, and it's not just me; it's the the GM. It, it'll be you know group 
uh, group chef. It'll be the general manager. It'll be some wine people, and we'll sit down and and uh, people from head office too, and we'll sit down and we'll have a collective and we'll discuss it and go, you know what, that beetroot and that beetroot tartare today, which is true, you know, it had too much acidic. When you have one bite, it was fantastic. When you have five or six of you trying to eat the whole dish, can't do it. Um, you know, so it'll just be those tiny little things so it'll be tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until we get it right. Um, and, you know, I think that's really important is where you uh, you you have to take as much influence from, from everybody. Not that you... Look, no one's reinventing the wheel, really, but you're just taking influence from, from wherever you go and whatever you see. Do you think that your connection with the land helps with that? Like It does now, yeah. Yeah. I never really used to think about it, and I was a little bit more removed. And, you know, as we got went on, you know, Dad bought a, another place and got a little bit bigger, and then, you know, might have been 20-odd years ago, I'd made a bit of dough and, and bought into it, and, and we bought a much bigger place, and I took out, you know, a brother and another family member and whatever. So it's, you know, Dad and I um, own it now. I, I, but I treat it as a business, as one of my businesses and, and, and uh, you know, and try to stop my, my dad from spending all the money sometimes. And uh, he loves that. <laughs> Was it tractors and toys? Oh, like no, it's not so, he's, he's not into the toys like I am. But, uh, you know, Dad, what Dad is very good at, and that's being a farmer. And, and uh, you know, he loves his animals and he treats his animals well and he's, Wants them to be as fat as possible, and sometimes might spend. We might spend a bit too much money on, on fattening them, and and uh, but um, you know it's a good. It's getting a good balance now, and I want to diversify a little bit more and do other things on the farm. And um, you know we've got uh, we've got pigs now, Berkshire pigs, which have been fantastic. We've got you know we're getting more and more out of lamb and more into beef as Dad gets older, um, which is just uh, common sense is where it gets a bit too hard but you know i'd, I'd like to grow some veggies on it and maybe some eggs on it and wow you know i've got i've got a lot of land you, you know? know put some places out there some Airbnb. yeah and, absolutely oh, i've got, yeah, got shoes quarters which is you, you know, ground the truffles or something else You'd truffles I've, I've got a spot for truffles that i've limed up and and uh you know there's, there's lots of things i want to do over, over the years but we you know we'll, we'll get there um okay well this was gonna who has been your big inspirations my big inspiration look you know what there, there are plenty of them yeah um and the reason being is you know um as i've gone through life i've met different people you know obviously my my, my family uh, my father you know he spent uh, two and a half years coming uh, from from blacktown to roseville and picking me up at midnight six nights a week um you know big that, thank that, you dad big thank you dad um you know and then obviously my first head chef you know michael de lawrence probably one of the most uh, um, not recognised chefs in the country, and he should have been. He, he still works. He's in Brisbane, and he's, he's a phenomenal chef um, and, a, and a great inspiration. You know, then I was at Manfredi, and, and, you know, and then still people in the industry, you know, that I, that I think are amazing, you know. Um, you know, Neil Perry, um, back, in, back in those days, you know, Greg Doyle, Peter Doyle, um, you know, Mark Armstrong, you know, they were all very big influences in the beginning. Um, Jacques Ramond and, and then, you know, obviously my peers now, um, you know, the, the guys that, uh, you know, Justin North and, and uh, even, you know, people like Dan Hong and, you know, what they're doing and, and Jordan Toff, I was at his place the other night and, and uh, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're all incredible cooks, Ben Shuri, um, you know, Shannon Ben, all those guys, you know. Anthony Bourdain, you had Tony, a- Tony is a great mate, yeah, yeah, very sad. Yeah. Um, horrible story. Yeah. Um, still hurts to think about it. Yeah, it actually hurt me right now to yeah, think about it. Yeah, I probably yeah. shouldn't have said that. Yeah, no. no I, 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 look, I met Tony um, 
I think his book came out when his book came out in 0102. Anyway, he, he wasn't that famous, but he came to Australia to launch that book, Kitchen Confidential. And I read it and I thought, oh, God, you know, there's some secrets in there I didn't want anyone to know. <laughs> and um, I remember, I was just trying to think who it was. He came down when I was in the kitchen, sort of 18 years ago, I suppose, and uh, he said to me, he said, you know, nice to meet you. And I was cleaning some meat and fish. And he said, um, look, I've got one night by myself and, you know, is it possible that you could take the night off and show me where you eat? And I, I kind of... He, not that he wasn't famous, I, I, but he was famous back in those days. It's just like, wow, what an interesting character. I said, I'd like to hang out with him that night. So I actually rang, I think it was, it might have been at Neil's place. It might have been EXO in, it was in Victoria Street. And it was Liam Tomlin, who was a good mate, Michael Moore, and I think Guillaume from memory, or Neil, I can't whether Neil was there. And, uh, and we went out and when he passed away, I made a comment, and Liam made a comment on it, who's now in South Africa. Do you remember Liam from Bank? No, I don't. He was the best cook in Australia. Right. No question. And Liam, uh, Liam wrote on it, he goes, I still remember the, the hangover. And Tony went hard. <laughs> and then, and then uh, Anthony, uh, Tony, I call him Tony, sorry, I, keep, so I should say Anthony Bedain. I went to New York and I was invited by the James Beard Foundation. And uh, it might have been a year or two after that I met Anthony. And, and I remember messaging him saying, buddy, I'm coming to New York to cook James Beard. And he's like, why are you doing that? And I said, oh, I've been asked and it's a privilege and whatever else. And I said, you know, can you help me out? He goes, of course I can help you out. He said, um, I'll get a team of chefs. And I took over three three chefs with me. And it's quite prestigious. Um, and uh, it's a funny story because th there's a connection back to his second book, second or third book, Raw. He's actually He actually mentions me in that. Um, about James Beard and how James Beard take advantage of young chefs and make them come all this way and don't give them any money. And there's some great black and white photos of Anthony and I because he basically recreated that team from the first book, the grill bitch and, you know, all the, <laughs> all the people in the book I actually met. And, uh, and they helped me cook the dinner that night and I was forever in his debt. And, um, and we just became great mates after that. And, and uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a funny character because he... I remember one night, it was only four or five years ago, he was here in Australia and someone had brought him out and he had to have dinner with him and it was the only night that I could see him. But I was, and he left it late and I was going to a, a, a Shabbat Friday night, my partner's house um, that I, you know, the whole family were going and, and I couldn't get back from somewhere I was and he had an event and it was the only night and he said, I can't see you. Because I said, oh mate, why don't you come for dinner? I didn't tell the people I was going to the house. And uh, and he said, look, mate, I can't. These people have got to take me out. And now I said, mate, I pity because it's going to be a big Jewish slap up, you know, great cook and whatever else. And he's, oh, he's so pissed off. He said, I'm not going to see you. So he hangs up. Five minutes later, he rings up and goes, fuck it. I'm fucking these guys off. I'm coming to the slap up. I'm like, all right, great. So then I had to reach my partner's wife and said, do you mind if I bring one more person? She's like, yeah, sure, who? And I said, uh, Anthony Bedain. <laughs> he had a heart attack. But that's the sort of guy he was. But, you know, he wanted to experience, you know, obviously he wanted to see me, but he wanted that Jewish slap up more than anything. And if I told him I was going to have fish and chips on the beach, he probably wouldn't have come. <laughs> and I bet he made everyone feel comfortable. Yeah, man, of course he does. Yeah, he was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I was, yeah, truly inspiring, very sad. Are we doing enough for mental health in our game? Uh, I think we're, we're getting there. Um, 
you know, I, I know that in our company we are, um, and you know, we are we are doing everything we possibly can. Look, I I, I also think that you know, there's been quite a spate. And I had a very dear friend that passed away a year ago, about two or three days. Oh, last on Saturday, um, Jazzy Jazzy Bull, who was a, a great dear friend and had the local cafe, and that one really hurt too because, you know, I'd see Jazzy Lee every day, um, but you know. And, and, of course, you know, the beautiful Jeremy Strode, who's a, a very dear friend too. Um, you know, pressures of kitchens are, are, are known, they're full on. But, you know, there's, there's mental health in, you know, anyone with mental health, they can go down that track pretty quickly. So yeah. it's recognising it and, and, you know, trying to nurture it as best we can. I think we're getting better. How much do you sleep? Uh, sleep when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, you know, I probably sleep better these days. Um you know, in my early days, I didn't get home until, you know, midnight, you'd wind down, be one or two, you know, and I'd be up by, you know, seven, I suppose, back in those days. So probably five hours back then on an average, probably a little bit more now, probably six. It's probably Sunday nights, I might squeeze a seven in, you know, you know. Sunday nights, I don't know why, I'd fall asleep early. But, you know, you'd, <laughs> I used to fall asleep early. When I was a kid, I'd, my mum would find me in the bloody uh, shopping centre, curled up in the corner because I'd just run out of puff, you know. <laughs> I see you cooking lots of stuff on your Instagram. Like, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. at home a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it looks yeah. amazing. Yeah, like, yeah, pretty much gets me in the kitchen. Yeah, so. yeah. I cooked a great cassoulet on Sunday, and uh, it was a funny story because I, I cooked. I cooked. I just woke up. I, mean, I often do this on weekends. I'd been, I'd been in Melbourne. I think I came back on Saturday, and uh, you know, people think you know you're always cooking the restaurants. I'm not. I'm not. I've got a head chef in every restaurant and I, I'll wander in and I'll stick my fingers in stuff and whatever else, but I'm, I'm not cooking people's fish anymore. Do I love cooking? Of course I bloody will do. Can <laughs> I cook? Of course I bloody can. You know, it's, I've been doing it for 35 years um, and, I, and I love it. And, and often when I'm at home, um, you know, I, I just wake up and go, I feel like cooking, you know, and Sunday was one of those mornings and, uh, and it was raining and I thought, geez, you know what, I just feel like making a cassoulet. So, you know, duck confit and, you know, I went and got some blood sausage and some mince and, and, uh, and, and started making a, a full-on cassoulet. And I, I normally make a lot. I made a lot this time. I made two massive big Le Crusades. And what the plan was was to eat half of one and then put the other there and the kids can eat it, heat it up. And I love heating it up the next day because I reckon it's just as good, if not better. And uh, Harry came home with a mate and uh, two mates. And, uh, and I said, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're going to, you know, the pub. And Harry had been to Japan skiing or whatever. And I thought, oh, man, I'm making a cassoulet. And he could just see his mate look at Harry going, oh, I've heard about these. You know, <laughs> Stephen, Stephen had one. He's still going on about it. And I said, Sam, what time are you going out? He goes, 7 o'clock. I said, right, dinner at 6 o'clock. And, uh, and you're more than welcome. And there was another guy there, um, Ben and, uh, and Harry. And Harry goes, yeah, all right. And then all of a sudden, if anyone saw my Instagram, I never put my kids on Instagram, but it was just a story. And uh, there were there were six of them in the end. <laughs> and uh, and I, I, it, they just kept turning up. And they've obviously been talking, you know, oh, yeah, we go to the pub. Oh, but we're Matt's and we're, um, and, you know, and, and Matt's cooking his dinner. Oh, you're in. <laughs> so at, at five to six, I kid you not, three of them turned up one after the other. And uh, I said, right, we'll set the table. And... The bad part of the story is they, they polished both of them off, <laughs> you know, and there was nothing really left. And uh, But, geez, they, they left pretty – they actually didn't go out in the end. 
They just stayed downstairs. How good's that? Yeah, look, it's good to hang out with them. Anyway. Are you a big softie? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I'm a country bloke, you know. But you're so, like, you know, like from meeting you from the outside, I reckon I'd be scared to come to a job interview with you. A lot of lot of it is is that, uh, you know, I'm wearing glasses. Yeah, me too. My eyesight's getting worse. And I'd be sitting in a room and someone would be looking at me and I didn't have my glasses and I was looking at them and it just looks as though I'm, I'm going to kill them. <laughs> but I'm really just trying to focus on them. And that's where a lot of it, I think, used to come from. Yeah, yeah um, okay. But, you know, and I yeah. suppose people see that TV stuff and, you know, I've just been shooting some stuff. Um, in the US for an American show, and um, you know, I was, I was. It's a reality sort of competition show, and and uh, they really wanted me to come from Australia to, to do it, and and we made one episode, and we're just waiting to see whether it's going to take off in the US, and I think it will. And um, you know, I was with a couple of Americans. They don't know me from Bar Soap, and I, I was just telling this guy, I was trying to help him, you know, trying to help him, and I'm going right through it, and he he just started barking back at me and I, and I just lost it. <laughs> and you could see there's about 20 people in the control room and Pip was there, my offside, and they all just went, <gasps> and they all looked at each other and said, where the hell did that come from? <laughs> and it was just me being a normal guy and then all of a sudden just, you know, this guy, I'm trying to help him and he's just saying, you know, what would you know? And I said, well, mate, you're, you're fucking deep fried bloody prawns in in uh, tacos with, uh, you know, sweet chilli sauce and goat's cheese, that doesn't go. And he goes, yeah, it does. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, no, it fucking doesn't. Anyway, we, we got into a bit of a scrap and he stormed off because I went off. And he's like, you know, I'm not coming back to the show, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden he's out the back and there's tears and whatever else. And, and he says to producers, you know, no one understands the hardship I'm going through. It's only one person understands and that's Matt. And they're like, what? He just told you where to go. He goes, yeah, but that's it. He gets it, you know, and it was just that respect thing that, isn't you know, that, I was trying to help that, him. Isn't that And nice? then he thought about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, was, so I went and conned him back in to come back and it's fine. Um, but look, yeah, you know, I, I um, yeah, I'm a softie, you know, and I, I think that comes with getting older and, and the more uh, the older I get, you know, and, you know, I've, I've done pretty well. I, I want to give back and I want to help people and, and having kids, I think, is a big part of that. Um, you know, the, the, the plight of the farmer is a, is a big thing for me at the moment. It has been my whole life. Um, hence, we started the foundation Thankful for Farmers and we're hoping to raise, you know, 100 million plus in the first year and, and uh, yeah, big figures. And, um, and how, how, just quickly, how can people find out a bit more about that? Look, yeah, they can go to thankfulforfarmers.com you know, and, and AU and whatever, but it's really, we co-brand with some, you know, big, big companies and, and, uh, and, you know, in my restaurants, we donate, you know, you can buy a plate. You don't get a plate, actually, but you just pay 10 bucks or 5 bucks or whatever else. And, um, you know, there's a lot of companies. So if they go on, they can see how many are on it. And, mm. and, uh, and they want to take it globally. But, you know, I'm sort of part of it here. And, and to me, it's about, um, you know, trying to give back. What's going on with, um, are more people eating out or are these cooking shows inspiring people to eat in? What is going on? I am confused. <laughs> uh, look, you know, that, that's, the, the cream always rises to the top. And, you know, I, I think by, you know, Australia has changed and it's changed a lot with their palates. Um, you know, I look at what my kids are eating, you know, when they were 15 compared to what I was. Um, and their knowledge of food and everybody's knowledge of food. And, and that's not just... TV and and print, it's the internet and whatever it is. But people want to eat better. People want to know what they're eating. I think that's really important, where it's coming from. Um, sustainable, more so than, than, than before and more so in the future. 
Um, and I think what's going to happen is, you know, uh, the good ones always survive. People will always want to go out. Um, chefs will always have a job because computers can't replace us. Um, but you know, there, there will be some. The middle market or the bottom will, will the bottom the bottom will suffer. You know, the ones that aren't very good, they'll be they'll be gone. Um, you know, I, I think the industry it's been a bit tough the last sort of you know sort of few months um, with the fires and everything else. But it's still very it's still very buoyant. Do you think that people, because of the high standard you see and the restaurants are yep. doing a very good job, that they're almost scared to cook at home because like, oh, I just can't get it as good no, as No, I think they're cooking better at home and yeah. they, they're, they're, um, you know, they're, they're being more of a critique when they come out, which is fine. It raises the bar. Yeah. You know, it makes you better. Um, competition is good, you know, it makes you better. Good. And, you know, it's something that we always strive at. We always try to make our restaurants better than what they were the year before. Got a good philosophy. What's your favourite pizza place? Yeah, you know what? This is a funny thing. I, I actually don't eat a lot of pizza. Um, I just don't eat a. I don't eat a lot of pizza. I just. Uh, I um. Didn't you work at an award-winning Italian restaurant? Yeah, no, time? but we never made pizza. We'll find dining. Um, my kids eat a lot of pizza. Um, we'll ask them next time. Okay? And I just, I just don't. I just don't. Right. I, I, um, you know, I, I, I suppose I'm just trying to think of a good place. Um, down the road at Coogee Pav, you know Justin Hemmies, who's a, is a great operator, and uh, and Jordan Jordan Toff's down there. He's a he's a chef. They make great pizza. Okay, you know, they they prove their dough the night before and all that stuff. Uh, a lot of chefs listen to this. So, what can we do in the kitchen to reduce plastic? Oh, look, you know, we were the first big company, I think, to eliminate straws from all our bars, um, which I, that's that's what you can do straight yeah. away. Um, you know, when you uh, when you when you buy things, you actually ask you know your suppliers. You talk to your suppliers, and you you eliminate it as much as you possibly can. Um, you know it's always good to have recycling, whether they're crates and they just keep coming in and out, in and out. Chefs steal them ever all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you, you wait there, and, and you know they, they you put let them put them in their ones, and then you take yours back. And and I, you know we, we don't have any cardboard in in our kitchens, and the reason being is we we uh, you know has cockroaches and stuff like that in it. And, uh, you know, we try to eliminate as much as we possibly can, wherever we possibly can. Um, you know, it's, you know, we all thought years ago that people wouldn't stop smoking in restaurants 20 years ago and, and people would adapt. And you only have to show people, you know, that, that what, what it's good for and, and start doing it. People change, people will adapt, you know. Recycling, you know, God, whoever thought that would have four different bins and would be putting our glass in that and our plastic in that and, and, our, and our paper in that. When it first came in, everyone's like, no way, I can't do that. You know, you don't even blink now. You don't even think about it. Of course, it's just natural. Um, you know, if we can eliminate it, well, God, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to do the environment, the world of good. Who, what young rock star chef is coming through the grades that you just have a heap of respect for? Oh, look, there's, 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 there's probably more than one. There's, there's, you know, there, there's a couple in my industry. You know, Tom Haynes at Brangaroo is a, an absolute superstar. Um, this young girl, Ari, is 23 and is already a sous chef. I took her to New York to cook. Um, Abby Howard, she's, a, she's, a, she's going to be a superstar. Um, outside, um, uh, Paul Donnelly in New York, you know, Scottish guy that cooks Chinese food. He's a, he's a bit of a superstar. Um, you know, and I'm sure every other guy's got some guy in there that, you know, young chef in the kitchen that's going to be a superstar. It's just good to see when they actually do, you know, come through and, and go out and do their own thing and... And, uh, you know, I've been very lucky, you know. I've had a lot of guys that uh, have been through my kitchen that have gone on and done great things. Um, Matt Arbe, head chef at Gordon Ramsay in London, 
You know, he's the only Australian ever to receive three Michelin stars. He worked at Ari for five years, and fuck, I gave him a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're, we're very close. Um, <laughs> You've said that multiple times. I gave yeah. him a hard time, and no, now we're very I, close. I, I did. No, we're very close. Matty and I, well, Gordon and I are best friends. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I go fishing with Gordon. Um, I'm going again this year to Iceland with him, and I always drop in and say hello to Matty, make sure he's all right. And, and uh, you know, Elvis from Batania, he worked at Aria. I remember when he got his first tattoo. He's covered in tats these days. <laughs> Um, you know, there's there's been plenty of them over the years. Um, okay, uh, favorite fruit? Oh God, you know this is a hard one because I'm one of those people. As I said, you know, I'm a little bit scatty. So when I see um, mangoes when they first come into season, I go, Oh God, how good are mangoes? This is my favorite fruit. And then <laughs> and then a peach will come in. I go, Oh God, how good are peaches? <laughs> my favorite fruit. And then white peaches will come in. And I go, Geez, how good are peaches? My favorite. Fruit. Then a cherry will come in. I just I love. I love fruit. Yeah. You know? um, I'd have to say it's pretty hard to beat a really beautiful, ripe white peach, you know, or a big juicy fig. Now I'm just thinking now, <laughs> you know, big juicy fig, or you know, cherries from Tasmania, or you know, just. Yeah. How do you think that um, chefs understand enough about seasons? I get that it's super busy. You've got fruit and veg. You've got yeah. meat. You've got everything. How? I mean, I, I could talk to you for hours. And yeah. I, and I know you're very busy. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, no, let's keep going. We can go keep going for another yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, I mean, I'm what, as this. a supplier. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. You thought you wouldn't. That's what you said for No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you know what? You know what? I've got to go to, I've got to go to, I've got to be over one of my places at the gallery. Um, but, you know, as we always say, they can't start without me. <laughs> so, you know, um, look, I, I, have, I have a big thing in, in my kitchens and this is, this is, this happened because I was guilty. I, I was guilty like everybody else. I'd put asparagus on the menu and it'd be in season, it'd be great, and then it would, it would go. Mm-hmm. And then I'd be buying it from Peru and Mexico. And I, it just got to the point is where it kind of started losing its romance. Hmm. And I, I ban that sort of stuff from my restaurants, you know. And, and the way that I tell them and I explain it to them these days is that when you see asparagus come to season, you go, wow, how great is it? Because you... You don't remember it because it hasn't been. You haven't been eating it all the way through, and then and then when you're you're eating, it, you go, "Wow, this is great!" All right, and it goes out of season. You know, just think about how lucky you're going to be when you get it back again. Don't buy it from overseas because one, let's let's be let's be the business person, right? And you know as well as I do, right? And let, let's talk mangoes, right? When mangoes first come to season. They're bloody expensive and they're pretty average. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Middle of the season, they're unbelievable and they're cheap as chips. Yeah. Yep. And at the end of the season, they're not great again and they're expensive again. Yeah. Being a business person, what makes sense? You buy them when they're in the middle of the season. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you don't buy them from Mexico because they're expensive and they're still not as good as the you know the the Bowens. Um, so you know, let's let's uh, let's be romantic about food and when it comes in. Go yeah, and find something that's in season. And that's why we built the Chiswicks with the gardens. And you know, everything in those gardens is seasonal, of course. Otherwise, it wouldn't grow. <laughs> and uh, you know, we 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 may not have enough to supply the restaurant, which we don't. But it tells the customer by looking at the map and the menu that you know there's capsicum, there's eggplant, and there's chilies, and there's you know, um, cherry tomatoes, well, we know that's in season. That's why it's on the menu. And when it's not, well, it's not there. Mm. And, and let's, uh, let's, let's be realistic about it and let's be romantic about it. And that's what I love about seasonality. How can a supplier be better at letting you know that? Like, how do they let you guys know everything? Like I said before, there's so much. 
What is the one thing that someone does for you that you just go, that guy, he, he messages all my shares or he does this or he's you on know, Instagram or what's he doing? I, I, I get a message from my fruit and veg guy. I'm not even the buyer anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm the big guy. Yeah. You know, but I, I get a little bit of stuff from him every week yep. and uh, and just send him an email and, you know, can I have this? And the reason why I do that is just, you know, it's easy for me to get sent at home. <laughs> and uh, But also it's it's I look at what's in season. Yeah. I need to know that for when I go into my restaurants. And, you know, if one of the, the cogs are up, cost of goods are, is up in one restaurant and I can look at it and go, well, you know, he's using this and it's really right at the beginning or it's right at the end or it's not even in season. And I go, ah, 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 ah. So, you how, know. How quickly can you change a menu? Like, can you flip a menu pretty quickly? Yeah, every yeah. every venue can flip a menu. But we don't. We try and make it seasonal. We try and make it quarterly. Um, and But there's, you know, obviously specials on all the time. You know, I used to try and do it a lot quicker than that, um, but it just didn't make sense. So... You know, we, we, you have to plan, you have to talk to your supplier um, on what, am I going to get this for, you know, 10, 12 weeks? You know, can you guarantee it? And then I'll go, yeah. And they go, look, you might get, um, you know, that plum for six months, but you, uh, three months, uh, sorry, for six weeks, and then you get another plum for six weeks. So you know they you can, you know, put a, a blood plum and change it to a present or, or vice versa. I'm going to ask you just some normal uh, questions. Mm. Uh, what is your dream car? You probably already got it. Sitting out the back. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you drive in. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dr- Martin, dream motorbike. motorbike. You got it. You're probably uh, your dream sitting motorbike. Sitting out the back too. Um, <laughs> look, I, I, I love motorbikes and I've got a collection of Ducatis. Some of the rarest Ducatis, you know, in the world. Um, one of them is sitting out there. I'm not going to tell you what address we're in. <laughs> okay. um, but I love Ducatis. You know, I love, and I love superbikes. Um, but yeah, I've just, I've ridden bikes my whole life. There's a couple of dirt bikes out there too, actually. I, don't, I know you probably don't know a lot about me, really, but we've got a lot in common. I came from the country. Mm. I was an apprentice chef. Mm, I knew I that. I worked in an award-winning Italian restaurant. I was trained by a French chef called Jean-Pierre Rodet. Yeah. Uh, then I ended up in Byron Bay working in this cafe, bought the combi and stuff, and yeah. that's where I changed and went into the fruit and veg. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, but now I have 100 traff who I try and inspire, and, yeah. and um, I, I really can resonate with you, and, and I haven't got that bloody Aston Martin, but so I'm not there yet. Okay. <laughs> oh, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I've some friends have got a lot worse than me, but you know, it's, you know, I've got a normal car too. Um, what does the future hold for Matt? Mate, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I don't have a sort of set roadmap. Um, you know, take opportunities when, when they come. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not ready to retire. Um, that's for sure. Even though my wife, my, my daughter asks me all the time because I think she wants to, uh, you know, one day take it over. <laughs> she th- I think she thinks she does, but I think she'll do something else. Um, you know, I- I'll just keep, you know, growing and, 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 you know, be comfortable. I think if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said I want to own, a, you know, 100 restaurants. I don't think I do. Um, you know, I-, I think we'll slowly grow as we do and, you know, buy some more properties and stuff and, and, and do it that way. You know, might do a little bit of stuff overseas with some brand licensing, you know, if this US thing happens, you know, we'll, we'll just wait and see what happens. Not in Melbourne yet, so I might do something in Melbourne. So go see my boy. <laughs> well, I'm going to do another podcast with you in two years' time. All right, buddy. See where you're at. Be more than happy to. Are you to. coming up to Noosa this year? Mate, I, I will be up in Noosa. I'll be there. Uh, I think I'm doing a dinner with uh, my young guy, Tom from Brangaroo, um, B, and I think Neil and I are hosting it. And uh, Neil's got his uh, Corey. Corey Costello, who works at Rockpool Bar and Grill, yep. doing it with Tom. So Tom, Tom and uh, Tom and Corey in the kitchen, and Neil and I are just floating around, being you know hosts. 
Yeah, but we'll put that we'll be putting our fingers in stuff, don't you worry? <laughs> okay. Well, I will. Uh, I will see you up there for sure. Pleasure, buddy. Thank you for today. Pleasure. Like I said, I know you're super busy, so I really no, appreciate Absolute your pleasure. time. So thank, thank you so much for being a part of the broadcast. All good. Cheers, Cheers mate. Thank you, Matt Moran, for being a part of the podcast. It's been really good getting to know you. I felt like I knew you because I see you on television. I see you do things all over the place. But today, I've really got to know you, and that's been awesome. I couldn't believe how many similarities we had in the early parts of our career. If you're enjoying the podcast, please support us and check us out on Instagram at suncoast underscore fresh.